Praise be Jesus Christ, now and forever. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. This week's been quite a week, hasn't it? No doubt you've seen the news. No doubt you've seen the tragedy. I'm going to read a statement issued by Cardinal Supich this past week. This is a Supich's statement. The past nights I have watched in great personal pain as the pent-up anger of our people caught fire across our country. I saw the city where I was born, the cities where I lived, the city where I pastor now, catch embers from the city where I was educated and burn. Was I horrified at the violence? Yes. But was I surprised? No. As the saying goes, if you're not outraged, you're not paying attention. What did we expect when we learned that in Minneapolis, a city often hailed as a model of inclusivity, the price of a black life is a counterfeit $20 bill. When we added another name to the list of those murdered for being black or caring about the marginalized. End quote from Cardinal Supich. We also saw a statement from Wilton Gregory, Washington, D.C., say it was racism. Subsequently, facts have come out that show that there may have been some bad blood between these two guys that has nothing to do with race. But there's riots. These are bishops. There's successors to the apostles. Listen to Cardinal Supich again. He says that there is pent-up anger in the country and what did we expect I'll tell you what we expect do you have a crucifix near you do you have your rosary get a rosary look at the crucifix have you paid attention during Good Friday or anytime you say the creed or during the passion of our Lord sort of brutal things did they do to our Lord? Did he deserve them? And the crowd, what happened to our Lord? Was this not something political? The Jews brought our Lord to Pilate. Pilate said, I don't find anything wrong with the guy. And he said, we found him perverting and being subversive and all the things that the zealots and the others were seeking to do. Our Lord was falsely accused. It was a tragedy, was it not? How did the apostles act after the crucifixion of our Lord? Did they go out and start riots? Did they say, good thing Barabbas is out now, he'll avenge justice? Did they decry the Roman contempt of the Judaic people? There's enough in the gospel alone about Pilate's. Uh, if you didn't know that, Pilate was assigned to Judea because of the, uh, the Romans considered the Judeans to be uh, riotous, problematic, and not worth a whole lot of their time given the worldly empire. 
I don't recall reading the apostles say these things. But let's compare it. On one side, we have several bishops that immediately, in a post I put up recently, I brought it up that as more facts were coming out, these statements weren't weathering well because they didn't hold up against facts that were determined from investigation. George Floyd's death was terrible. Let's get that out of the way. I said it in an earlier one. I've said it in the post about it. What we're talking about now is how do we as Christians react to terrible events? How should a bishop, a successor to the apostles, react? Does he stoke the flames? And what guides them? In the case of the apostles, they saw conversion, penance, repentance to our God as the cure. St. John Chrysostom was a young priest in the year 387 in Antioch when they had riots. His response to the riots was a series of 21 sermons known as the Sermons on the Statues, wherein he calls people to repentance. He reminds them of the, they want to attain the heavenly kingdom where these things are okay, where life is okay, where you don't, where riots don't happen. We want to be there. The Marxist tells us that through a series of actions, we can transform the world into utopia where none of this stuff happens. And so you'll see the statements from the bishops. If you go back and read these or just pay attention to what Cardinal Supich had said, there is a, we can't have utopia and racism. One of them has to go. Now, I have to be honest, and I think everybody, in in the comments that people have about these riots, they're saying less and less that they believe the riots have anything to do with George Floyd, but not in the mind of these bishops that made these statements. In the case of uh, Archbishop Wilton Gregory, he's doubled down on this and said that it was a terrible misuse of the church for President Trump to use that church to inspire people or to try to invoke people towards God. Think about that for a minute. A doctor of the church, St. John Chrysostom, before he was even a bishop, used the church to call people back to God, and it ended the riots, and we know he's now a doctor of the church. Antioch became a great city. Archbishop Wilton Gregory stirs up the people, he's saying peacefully protest, to end racism. And he complains that our president would go and try to remind people of their duty to God and decried the burning of the church in a protest. Quite a contrast. You see, if we think of the greatest tragedy, that we killed our Lord, who was innocent, that apostates within the church a deep church, we might say, decided it was better to kill one innocent man than to have the whole order of Judea lost. 
They were seeking utopia, a world without Romans, a place where they could be. And he thought it was better to hand our Lord over, lie about him, calumniate him, brutalized by the Roman guards. And even when Pilate still had enough sense about himself, gave a choice between Barabbas, an Antifa-like rioter who had murdered and was a zealot and thought that utopia could be fought for and obtained. When the choice was between Barabbas and our Lord, who did they stir the crowds up to select? Pilate, who at least was trying to use reason, didn't didn't make any sense to him. He thought that was a shoe-in. He found out that the people who seek utopia are driven by something different. Alinsky called it eternal revolution. Karl Marx called it perpetual revolution. He wrote a poem about his pact with the devil. You see, Marxism drives the anti-church. And as you read a lot about the deep state which has infiltrated our U.S. government in the battle between the regular people in the deep state. Vigano has written a letter to President Trump telling him, indeed, there's a deep church, much like the deep state in the U.S. Infiltrated. That was a word that was a popular title, but... Um, it's not new. A number of titles through the years, and it's not new in a lot of ways. Pius X identified these infiltrators as the modernists. And he knew modernists would prefer to conceal themselves and live to fight another day, to continue eating at the foundations of the church from within, that one day they could uh, take her on directly, that they could stir the people away from our Lord, that secular humanism, that the satanic Marxist state, the heirs of Russia, might someday be able to overcome the common man's perception of the church. You know, utopia, holding hands and felt banners and, you know, everything's okay. That world disregarding what God expects of us and instead looking at humanistic solutions to problems that require God's help. There was power in the tragedy of our Lord, in the tragedy of how he was treated, the guards spitting on him, mocking him, I'm sure there were moments where our Lord couldn't breathe, where the weight of the cross on his back as he fell. Why else did the guards get somebody to help him, Simon of Cyrene? In the face of that brutal treatment, that tragedy, did the apostles get up and decry Romanism? Did they decry systemic error? No. They told the truth. They followed the call of St. John the Baptist and reminded people to repent. Follow our Lord. 
believe in his resurrection. It's pretty disappointing. Although on the other end, we shouldn't be surprised. Like I say, the, the idea, the notion that we have those within the church who have made compromises with the devil. Didn't our lady tell us that at Akita? There will be those in the church who make compromises. With whom would they compromise? You can't compromise with our Lord. You can, but not with things that he expects, can you? You can't compromise away that which the Father expects, that which the Father says is true. There's only one that does that. That was the serpent in the garden. So if the church, there's those in the church who make compromises. Our lady told us, you know, the devil's people have gotten into the church. And then she backs it up with what it means. Cardinal against cardinal, bishop against bishop. Looks familiar, doesn't it? So we shouldn't be surprised. We shouldn't be surprised in these things, but if you think about the tragedy to our Lord in the response and you compare it to the crowd during the passion of our Lord, you begin to see the difference of how the Holy Spirit inspires the church and that of the devil, how he inspires the world. We could even call it the spirit of the world, the spiritus mundi. Think Barabbas and stirring up the crowds. It wasn't it the stirred up crowds and the protesters that demanded justice and give us Barabbas. And when Pilate asked, what would I do of Jesus? What do they cry out? Crucify him. Now this holy doctor of the church, St. John Chrysostom, he got it. He understood it that when the Spiritus Mundi had stirred up the residents of Antioch into riots and protests, he brought God into it. You see, we do want utopia. We just don't want the counterfeit one from the devil. And Jesus brought us utopia. He said, the kingdom of heaven begins in your heart here. And how do you get that? through the sacraments, through conversion, through learning our Lord's statutes. Look at it this way. Is there any racism in heaven? No. And just to push the point in as to who's animating these bishops, on what side have they made compromises? I posted a last week because I was just thoroughly disgusted by this. Office of Human Dignity and Solidarity. It's a very noble-sounding title. Posted a graphic right when these events happened and Zupich's statement and Wilton Gregory's statement had come out decrying the racism. They put something out that basically said all of us were covert white supremacists. And I say all of us because... When you looked at the chart, if you want to know about European history or if you want to speak English, 
you're a covert white supremacist. And it, you know what that means? They're calling you a racist. That, my friend, is the propaganda of the Soviets. It was perfected by the Soviets. Most Soviet propaganda was designed to take the ordinary person and create a presumption of guilt against them. Presumption at law works this way that you know it because the Constitution says that you're to be presumed to be innocent until proven guilty. That means the burden of proving your guilt is on someone else. You don't have the burden of proving your innocence. How in this church of the world, the spiritist mundi church, the globalist church, the secular humanist church, how does one redeem oneself? It's through proving your innocence. So if you have a presumption laid against you, or you're white, you're a white supremacist, or whatever the case may be. You see in a lot of the progressive world how this presumption works because people, instead of practicing real virtue, repentance to, our, to God, practicing faith, hope, and charity, they do something called virtue signaling. This is meant to counteract the presumption of guilt. See, because if you show everybody up front, you see people doing it now where they're shaving their heads or um, doing any number of other things to show that they're in alliance with uh, Black Lives Matter or these other groups. Why are they doing that? Because they believe they're guilty until they prove themselves innocent. They're replacing the social sin, the system, systematic sin, with an over-expression or symbol of their innocence. They're doing public penance, shall we say. There's no other way to put it. When, in reality, it's not going to earn you anything towards the real utopia of the kingdom of heaven. You get there by converting to God make and, and, and repenting and practicing the things our Lord asked us to do when he said, if you want to get to heaven, come follow me. Do people who honestly imitate our Lord, are they racist? Why would a bishop act like we need to go out and fight racism instead of saying, repent and follow Jesus Christ who died in the most tragic, brutal way and rose from the dead. If me, a lay person, can see these things just from the Good Fridays and from hearing the gospel myself, why can't a bishop who's a successor, the apostle, unless he's one that has made compromises, as Our Lady said. Yeah, the Marxist march is upon us, and it's coming right out of our church. Even the propaganda is the same, where we're guilty unless we prove our innocence. Let's make a felt banner. Let's have a peaceful protest. I think I'm going to follow our Lord and instead pray for peace Pray the rosary 
and pray as Our Lady asked us and make acts of reparation for the sins. I get a lot of comfort in that compared to some utopia on earth that just doesn't exist. I don't, I like the old formulary of Easter where we reject empty promises. We reject Satan and all his empty promises. I don't think promising people utopia, just like the serpent promising Eve that she would be like God's. Just not where it's at, is it? I think I'm being a little harsh. I want to give you a recording from Father Michelli talking about liberation theology as a trick of the communists. And he brings right up that it's straight from Satan. Shouldn't be a surprise. When you listen to this, you're going to hear much of similarities to what's going on today. Our Lady Fatima, pray for us. And now, this recording of Father Michelli from 1985. All right, Father. This is J.F. from Scranton, Scranton, Pennsylvania. Uh, We hear a lot these days about liberation theology. What exactly is meant by liberation theology, and what does the Holy Father stand on it? Liberation theology is a, a trick that the communists have played on the church, especially on certain priests and bishops and even cardinals. They first show a tremendous sorrow and love for the poor, compassion for the poor. They're poor. The method we've had to try to destroy poverty and depressed areas and and, uh, uh, illiteracy, all of those have failed. Uh, The the social methods through law, through... uh, schools, through other socially and uh, legally good methods, they fail. So now we got to take the method of the communists. The higher-ups are corrupt. The government, the church is in with them, they're all corrupt. They want to keep their own people in there. So now we have to go out and liberate with violence. Liberation theology says the hoi polloi, the simple people must rebel. Go on out and get justice and get a higher standard of living and get an education and get, uh, for example, a good education, and destroy the depressed areas, and wipe out poverty, and uh, get rid of all these socially bad conditions. But the only way to do it is do it quickly. Do it by class warfare. That's where Marx comes in. And many priests, although emphasizing the church's love for the poor, and forgetting that Christ did not come to wipe out poverty, or to wipe out uh, illiteracy, but he came to make saints. Forgetting the sanctity part, that we first have to feed the soul before we feed the body, or simultaneously feed the soul and body, but of the two, the soul has a higher priority, because if you go leave this life starved of the truth, you go to hell, if you purposely do it. So, forgetting that the spiritual food is just as important and more important than the physical food, these people have fallen, help line and sink up for the communist propaganda. This liberation liberation from poverty, liberation from uh, uh, illiteracy, from depressed areas, from, uh, uh, for example, from uh, not having citizenship in a country. It is all a fraud because when the communists take over, everybody's a slave. Nobody can say anything. 
And the only food they get is what the government gives them. So what's going to happen is, in South America, notice that whenever the communists take over, take Cuba, had the highest standard of living, the highest form of education, next to America before Castro took over. Now there are seven million slaves. Only the party members live high off the hog. The rest of them have to line up for food. That never happened before in Cuba. He had a wonderful business relationship with the United States. It was the highest gross national product of the whole of Latin and South America. Now it's enslaved. This was done by the communists to seduce naive, well-meaning priests and cardinals through the emotion, the gut reaction against poverty, against dictatorship, against oppressed areas, and they fell for it. The Pope came along and said, this is a seduction brought about by Marxism in the name of Satan. Don't follow that trip. It is a trip to hell. And of course, the rebellious priests simply won't pay attention to the Pope. And many rebellious intellectuals won't pay attention. You even have bishops in this country who are backing the Sandinistas in uh, in uh, Nicaragua, where we know they're communists and they're persecuting this mesquite Indians who are poor to begin with and taking their land away from them. Why do these people come to their defense of Sandinist Marxists? It's crazy. It doesn't make sense. The Pope keeps his eyes open. He knows what reality is. And thank God uh, the president also keeps his eyes open in the United States. He knows where reality is, too. It's a case of Satan appearing as an angel of light. As an angel of light, perfectly. Satan appearing as an angel of light. And the, the, behind it all is the fact that they're going to build an economic utopia. And utopias are always heresies. You Dream. can't build a utopia in this life. Our utopia is in heaven when we get to God. We're pilgrims passing through. There's always going to be poverty. We try to help it out. There's always going to be sickness. We try to cure the diseases. But there's always going to be death. You're never going to create a utopia. And this is dangling the false ideal of a possible utopia in front of people. And they fall hook and line and sinker for it. No more gardens of Eden. Huh? No more. They're not going to be here. That We were driven out of them once and for all. The only other garden we got to get to is heaven. Our Lord said, seek you first the kingdom, kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. See you. Well, there you have it. I hope you caught the part about utopia. If not, scrub back on the podcast and catch that again. There is no utopia here, not in this world, not since the fall of Adam and Eve. Our Lord came and died and was resurrected that he could bring us to the new world, the new creation. And it's safe to call heaven utopia. Utopia is the counterfeit heaven. You see, Satan is stuck with this world. And if he wants anybody to satisfy, if he wants to accommodate people's natural inclinations towards a place where there's no sighing, no tragedy, and bliss, he has to fool people into thinking that if they just virtue signal a little bit, if they do these empty acts, then they can have it. It's called utopia to them. But even for the Marxists and the Soviets and the others who have been caught up in these lies of the devil, the elusive utopia just never is going to come. It can't. Let's bring up this other thing here. Speaking of empty promises, I just, I'm going to put this out there and you think about it. We're in the middle of all this pressure towards Laudato Si and the environment. I've even heard 
Holy Father and others say that, you know, the coronavirus pandemic was nature's revolt against us for, you know, plastic straws and for not contributing towards a environmental tax that they were setting up, even the fund at the Vatican. I, I do think nature revolts at times for the acts of man. I don't think that coronavirus is it, though. I think it's what Our Lady of Fatima warned about. Sins of man are causing nature to revolt. The greatest sin of man, putting an innocent man, God, to death on a cross with lies, with brutal acts. Nature did revolt against, if you think about it, what are you told when the passion of Christ is read? The moment our Lord expired, the skies darkened, the earth shook. Nature revolted in shame for what had been done to her creator. Pray in reparation for our creator that at least nature be appeased for these sinful acts that cry out, cry out to heaven for vengeance. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. You've been listening to the Bellarmine Forum podcast, a production of the Bellarmine Forum, a nonprofit public charity founded in 1965. On the heels of Vatican II, to be an enclave of confusion-free Catholicism cutting through the confusion, smoke of Satan, and the errors and empty promises that are so rampant today from secular humanists, Marxists, the errors of Russia, and everything Our Lady of Fatima warned us about. To remind you to say your daily rosary, this program is made possible through an anonymous benefactor who asks you to say your rosary daily. This program is distributed for the greater glory of God and the honor of the Blessed Mother. Amen.